0: If you're tired of
1: dieting and stepping on the scale, you're lacking energy and confidence, and you're ready to harness your inner athlete, then you're in the right place. I'm Sherry Shaban, and in each episode, I'll help you to rebuild your fitness identity and empower your deepest transformation so that health and fitness are not just what you do, but who you are. What's up athletes welcome back to the show today's topic is a really important one we're talking about the diet mindset and how to break free into a place where we make peace with food and start to choose our food intuitively and maintain our weight and health without being restrictive i have to admit i've never struggled with weight loss In fact, when I started training in 2002, my primary goal was to reduce back pain. It was to come off of that pain medication that I was relying on, on a daily basis in order to get by. So when I started my journey, I wanted to increase strength. I wanted to reduce pain and I wanted to have more mobility and freedom of movement. But being in that environment for so long, I started learning a lot more about nutrition. I started hearing about different diets and learning that certain foods were good and others were bad. I learned at times that carbs were good and then I learned that they were bad. And then I learned at other times that fats were good and at other times they were bad. And then I learned that you needed an insane amount of protein in order to see the results that you want. Now for many years, I started adopting some of these principles And I found myself eating in a pattern that was very restrictive. I focused on eating all the good foods because that made me feel good. And when I ate the bad foods, I felt bad. I felt worthless. I felt disappointed in myself. I felt that I wasn't a coach and I wasn't being true to myself and to the athletes I was working with. I felt guilty. I felt ashamed. I felt frustrated. And before I knew it, I started picking up habits of binge eating. I'd be very, very, very restrictive and felt very, very good. And then felt that I would reward myself with something that was bad. But since I was already there and I was already doing it, I just kept going to the point where I would end up overeating that bad food because I felt like I was in a desert, that I wasn't going to get this food again that I was starving for so long and here was a buffet that would disappear very quickly. Now, it took many years to realize that this was a disordered behavior and that I had lost sight of what intuitive eating was. It took me quite some time to work on this, to make peace with food, to see all food as being neutral athletes there is no good food or bad food all food is neutral and when we assign it a good or bad label we give it way more power than it deserves what we do want to focus on is eating more of the foods that serve us and less of the foods that don't serve us but we are neither good nor bad for doing that you know a lot of people have a hard time believing that I don't follow macros or follow a particular diet. I really eat what I want and I focus on how I feel. When I eat the foods that serve me, I feel great. I perform better. I recover better. I sleep better. And my gut health feels optimal. And when I eat more of the foods that don't serve me, it starts to impact my sleep and my training and my recovery. I choose foods intuitively based on how I feel. And I have to say, it's paid off, it's stress-free. I don't have these feelings of guilt and shame. And I want you to come to this point where all foods are equal, but your body chooses the foods that fuel it because it knows what makes it feel good. Today to talk to us about intuitive eating and the diet mindset is Victoria Evans, who started her career in the corporate world with a prominent Fortune 500 company in the beauty industry in Montreal. Victoria's faced many challenges related to eating disorders, mental health, extreme dieting, and over-exercising. In fact, that became her catalyst for creating a solution to an issue millions of women deal with today. Victoria is a successful intuitive eating coach who's disrupting the wellness industry through her fundamentally science-based approach. She has helped countless women heal their relationship with food by optimizing their mindset for happier and healthier lifestyles. Now athletes, as you listen, I want you to keep an open mind, knowing that awareness is the first step towards change. And once you're ready to make peace with food, then it's time to make a change. Hi, Victoria. Thanks so much for coming onto the show today.
2: Hi, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you. Oh, me too. I love
1: what you do. I love what you do. And this, this topic is so close to my heart. So you help women break free from their relationship with food, where there's a lot of do's and don'ts and good and bad and, and should and shouldn't. And you help them find an intuitive way of eating.
2: Exactly. Really finding that food freedom, really finding that abundance and love for life when we're no longer held back with this, I should eat this, I should eat, this, I should eat that, I have to move this way or that way. Really coming from this empowered place and just such a beautiful way to live.
1: I love this. I love this. So how did this journey start for you?
2: Yeah. So I think myself, like so many women, you know, we've been told our entire life that our worth is what we look like, right? We see the before and the after photos in the magazine. We're told we should always look like the after photo because they're happy and smiling and their life is amazing. And so, you know, as someone my entire life, I battled with my weight and, I was convinced that happiness lay in a smaller body. And this kind of idea really perpetuated throughout my life, especially when I was getting into my early teens and my mental health really started to deteriorate. I was struggling with anxiety and depression. And again, this idea of I just make it to this body. If I just look this way, then I'll feel loved, then I'll feel happy, then I'll feel good enough, right? All these, these things that we've been basically sold to, as, especially if you're socialized as a woman in our society. And so as I grew up, this idea continued to evolve. You know, I played high performance volleyball, I played NCAA volleyball in Pennsylvania and again i was miserable Mm -hmm. i was unhappy and i had this idea like once i just get to this point then everything will start you know so i think so many of us whether that be with the body or the job or the house or the partner this built up of this is when i'll be happy this is when i can do this and so i started working for this fortune 500 beauty company in montreal and I was really struggling with my weight at this point I'd gone from playing volleyball six hours a day to all of a sudden sitting at a desk job yet. I was still carbo loading as if I was working out six hours a day to do literally, you know, just sitting there. So I started to put on a little bit of weight and you know, again, this idea that if I just lose weight, you know, I'll be happy. And I went on this 12 week weight loss guaranteed Instagram fitness influencer program, and it was extremely restrictive. I was dizzy. It was horrible, uh, but I started losing weight really quickly. Mm. And I became the poster child for her program. She has millions of followers on Instagram. Is Look at Victoria, look how amazing she's doing, oh. right? And I was given all this attention and this false feeling of connection that had been elusive for me my entire life. And, you know, it's funny, I think so much, so many of us will look at the social media or the magazine ads and think that after photo, they're perfect and their life is happy, When so often the level of restriction and deprivation required to get there, it's horrible, but it's not seen.
0: Right.
2: And so there I was, you know, fast forward a little bit. I was continuing on this restrictive diets. I was losing a lot of weight. All of a sudden, this had kind of become my identity. I was the girl who would work out at lunch. I was the girl who turned down every piece of cake or whatever, very restrictive with my dieting. And, you know, my hair was falling out. I'd lost my period. I was a mess. All I could think about was food. And then I blamed myself thinking I just needed to have more willpower. Right, It's like I would be restrictive all day long and then go on massive binges in the evening. I was like, what is wrong with me? Mm. I'm so broken, not understanding that what I would say with my clients that self-sabotage is actually self-protection. And so there I was this one morning, I'd had an extra handful of trail mix and it was 3am and I was crying, crying, crying in my apartment. And I pulled on my running gear because I felt like I had to burn it off. So decided that 30 kilometers was a good, you know, measure of punishment for having this extra amount of trail mix. And so there I was at 3am running up a mountain, Mount Royal, the middle of Montreal. And I remember just crying, crying and the car headlights lighting up my face as I was crying, just not knowing how to not be running, but knowing I was so exhausted and I couldn't do this anymore. And I got to the top of the hill, top of Mount Royal, and I just had this really rock bottom moment of knowing like, I can't keep living this way. Mm. Happiness is never going to come in a smaller body Mm. and I need help. Mm. I can't do this on my own I thought this was my burden to bear and my burden to fix but that's not the case right I think so many of us we need we need that support we're humans we're a social species so I ran down my, the hill and called the eating disorder hotline and that's when I first started getting help and started opening up and that really kind of began my journey to what I do now but that is kind of the the short long story of how I got to where I am <laughs> right
1: that's so intense and, and you said a, a few really important parts And and first of all it's It's having this ideal that you are working towards where happiness is on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. It's believing that happiness is on that other side of that success. And of course we've created that definition of success. Yeah. And then the other part too is being applauded for being very restrictive,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? And good job, Victoria, you did it amazing. You were so restrictive, you got these results and then everyone around you seeing that also
2: as a point of success. Yeah, which is why I always say to people, you know, don't praise people for their bodies, right? right? Like, praise them for their, you know, their ideas or how they show up with a lot of beautiful energy. Because if I tell you, oh, my God, Sherry, you look so amazing. Did you lose weight? Well, what happens if you gain weight? Or what does that say about how I looked before? Right. Right. It drives so much shame and so much I have to show up this way, but it also reduces us to our body. Right. And we are so much more in a body. And I love, I'm so passionate about fitness. I crossfit and I love to work out because it makes me feel really good right. and feel really powerful in my body. But I'm not just a CrossFitter. Right. I'm not just my handstand push-ups, right? Like I'm so much more than that. But you know, when we talk to people and reduce them to their body by commenting on their body, it really prevents us from going deeper with that person, which then also drives this feeling of disconnection as well, instead of being able to go that level deeper and ask, you know, what's really going on with you.
1: Right. Right. And it's interesting that you say that because it's true. The first compliment that generally we hear is you look great. Did you lose weight? Yeah. Oh, you look great. What have you been doing? And again, it's something very, very physical versus you showing up with love or you showing up to support other people or what, you know, what good cause have you done that is impacting others? It's interesting that that's our focus all the time.
2: It's totally our focus. And I think kind of going back to what you were saying before is when we place this idea of happiness on this, you know, mountaintop or like on this kind of this big idea, the statue in the future of like, once I get there, then I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. It releases us responsibility of being happy right now.
0: Right.
2: Right. It means that we are saying to ourselves, I don't have to go out and do the thing. I don't have to go on the date or I'm not going to go for this job promotion or I'm not going to do whatever, because I have to get to this point when I do that thing. Mm -hmm. And the irony of that is that by not going and pursuing the things that we want to do, by not showing up in that way, we're creating that unhappiness. Mm. So it's like, not only are we releasing us responsibility of happiness now, but we're also creating more unhappiness, Mm -hmm. which then perpetuates this idea of when once I get there, I'll be happy, but it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So true, so true. And so you you shared earlier that you've struggled with disordered eating or eating Mm -hmm. disordered disorders.
2: How did that start for you? Yeah. So it started as a diet, Mm -hmm. right? I think no one starts out thinking that this is going to become an eating disorder. It starts out as, oh, I could, I could lose a little weight. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd like to look a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So it started out as a meal plan from this very, this world champion bikini Olympian person, right? It started out as her giving me this meal plan and me looking at it and thinking, wow, that's not very much food and messaging her because I was like, I feel dizzy. I don't feel great. And her going just intermittent fast and drink more black coffee. it will be fine. Mm. So there I was literally holding myself up <laughs> around different places, but blindly trusting this person because she has the most abs and the most followers. And it just continued to escalate the different things in my environment, you know, whether it be the company culture I lived in was very kind of vogue like, like very appearance based. Um, you know, my mental health, where I was again convinced that I will just be happy and I'll be less anxious once I get to this point. Right. The constant appraisal by different people. The personality, the, you know, how I perceived myself, my identity, became the girl who lost weight, the girl that people would come and talk to and ask her about. And I didn't know how to not be that girl. And so it just continued to escalate. And because we think we'll get to a point where it's gonna be enough, right? I'm gonna to get to this goal weight or I'm gonna fit in this dress size and then I'll be happy. That doesn't exist because happiness is happiness is not in a body size, mm-hmm. which means that we're chasing smoke not knowingly often becoming more, more sick and worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And it's interesting because you got to that point where you did release the weight, you were, you know, you had transformed, your body was different. And yet you seemed like you were still chasing happiness, right? Oh, yeah.
2: I was the most unhappy I'd ever been in my life when I was at my smallest weight. Mm. which was such an identity shattering moment because my entire life, like from the youngest of young age, I remember thinking that once I just look like this version of myself, everything will be perfect,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: you know? And there I was looking at myself in the mirror with the perfectly defined abs, with the cut arms, you know, the hip cut things, you know, that I'd always wanted. And I had never felt more unhappy, more out of control around food. And What I would say is like, we'll never be free by implementing control.
0: Mm.
2: And I was seeking a sense of freedom in my life. I wanted to feel like I was actually living,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but we can't do that if we're just adding on various levels of control with our food, with our diet, with our with our exercise, yeah. right? We don't get to a magical point where all of a sudden, once I reach this weight, now I we can have the cake. You right. know, no, no, it becomes, now we have to maintain this weight or now we gain some weight. Now, who am I? People are gonna think I'm a failure or whatever, more restriction. Right. So releasing that idea that, there is ever some place you will get to where it's all going to be enough because it's it, it won't be
1: right that's interesting that that first of all ties into your identity very strongly mm-hmm. so when you become yeah. that person and you start being praised for being that person well i can't stop being that person it seems like everyone loves it and everybody loves this version of me and it and i'm probably impacting and inspiring others so i got to keep going right mm-hmm. but i'm always so curious as to when that seed was first planted. So you, you mentioned back in, you know, when I was much younger, when I, in my childhood, that seed was first planted that I would look at my, look my best if, you know, I released weight or then I'd be happy and it'd be, you know, I'd have the perfect life as soon as I release that weight. When did, when was that seed planted?
2: Yeah, I, so I'm five foot 10, I've always been tall, I've always had broad shoulders. And from the youngest of young ages, I, I was always very tall. I remember always being the middle back of all the, you know, school uh, photos. And I I've distinctly have this memory of being five years old on the playground and having some friends, my two friends there and the older girls wanted to come and like play with them, you know, like it was like, they thought they were really cute and little. And then literally excluding me because they're like, well, you're not the same age, like, and being treated so differently because of my height, my broad shoulders, and like so very five years old, this idea of like, if I was to be small and cute, then I would be liked and I would be connected and I would be loved And then I even remember in grade six, you know, getting girls making comments that I had a big butt, Mm. which I was very athletic. I was a figure skater for the first several years of my life, which had big glutes. And now I'm like, this is amazing. But at that time, (laughs) (laughs) what I want right now, (laughs) exactly. I was like, this uh, really worked out for me in the end. But um, at the time, like I tied a jacket around my waist for like three years because I was so embarrassed. And As well, like I mentioned, I was in figure skating, ice skating, um, and so, so much of it's on appearance, I'd be executing the exact same level of jumps, of spins, of performance, and getting marked significantly lower, Mm -hmm. and having conversations with my mom in the car that I just looked a bit different than the other girls who are competing, and... So it was kind of different things like this. But of course, if you're anyone in our society, you're at the grocery store and looking at all those trashy magazines that are slamming models, that are Mm -hmm. slamming, you know, celebrities and oh my God, look at this person on the beach and new diet to lose... 500 pounds in a minute, right? <laughs> Whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of start to put the pieces together, regardless of what different circumstances are. If you were socialized as a woman, especially, I mean, anyone in our society, but you're going to be slowly putting together those pieces over time. And some people, it's going to result in kind of going to a more extreme of baby eating disorder. Other people, it's likely just going to be more just disordered eating, kind of different levels of the spectrum. But I think to all degrees, we are impacted in, in some way.
1: Yeah. I, I want to get into that in a moment, but it, but it's interesting because maybe back in the day when, you know, we were, we were younger and we were growing up, it was all about being skinny and being skinny mm-hmm. was what was beautiful and being skinny yeah. was the standard. And then, you know, enter CrossFit and enters, you know, strength training. And now we hear strong is the new skinny. Mm-hmm. That didn't change so much. You know, it's still, it's still that label. It's still that, that, that goal and that, that, sort of expectation of perfection that we're still going for and maybe maybe in the past it was about being really skinny and being a size zero or size two but now it's about having really big muscles Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and so where where do I release all of that and start to look internally and ask myself truly how am I feeling Mm -hmm. and how can I start to intuitively choose my foods and release myself from these expectations of looking a certain way Mm -hmm.
2: yeah i think the first thing is to understand and have that awareness that there is no end point that is going to bring you a certain feeling Mm -hmm. and so what i would say is when we want to lose weight or we want to have abs or whatever what i'm actually saying is i want to feel loved Mm
0: -hmm. i want to
2: feel connected i want to feel good enough i want to feel worthy and obviously never, none of those things are going to come in a body size, but having that first set awareness and as well knowing that because we are a human, like a social species as humans, we are very much used to tribal living, mm-hmm. which means that our brains, so I'm a science-based intuitive eating coach, are very much driven by oxytocin, which is a neurotransmitter for bonding and connection. So as a, a species, we are meant to be assimilating, fitting in. Because thousands of years ago, if we were not doing this, and we were kicked out of the tribe, we are going to die. So we have the genes of the people pass forward who would assimilate, who would fit in, who would conform. And so we're so used to that. And we're so used to being shame avoidant because shame, according to our brain, meant isolation, meant death, Mm -hmm. right? And being different. And so looking at the world we've created today, this social structure that we're in and seeing that, whether it be on social media or magazines or whatever, our brain literally thinks that unless I get to this point, then I will be kicked out of the tribe. If I don't, if I don't look this way and I'll be isolated and then I want to die. Now, obviously consciously, we know that's likely not going to be the case, but really subconsciously we're thinking like, you know, who's going to love me if I look, if I don't look, I don't look this way right? Who's going to think, are people going to talk about me? They're going to think I'm disgusting, right? Blah, blah, blah. And then I die alone, right? So it's really not that far off how our brain has changed. But you look at human history, like it's very recent that we have the, the social structures and, you know, the kind of living that we currently do. Our brain has not evolved enough in recent years to understand that not fitting into what the Instagram fitness model looks like and looking differently that that's not a threat basically to our survival mm-hmm. So first of all understanding if you have the words coming up or you look in the mirror and you're telling yourself oh I need to lose weight here or I need to look a certain way or I need to get more abs or whatever what you're actually saying is that okay, I really want to feel loved and connected. But I'll say to you know, clients, what you think is a body problem is actually a life problem. Mm. And so starting there and getting super curious and super open and super honest with yourself, because again, we're never going to find any of those kind of feelings, you know, of happiness or fulfillment in a body size. Mm-hmm. So I say that was kind of like the the first thing I always like to address to kind of almost level the playing field a little bit. Um, and then the second thing is just like a quick little tip is to change your language around food, mm-hmm. right? If I'm always saying I'm so bad for eating this muffin, then of course, anytime I ever eat a muffin, I consider myself bad. Right. And then we end up in this perfectionist, black and white, all-or-nothing thinking, which means, oh, if I have this muffin and I'm so bad, then screw it. I've already ruined my eating for the day, I might as well go all out and I'll finish two more muffins, three more muffins, tomorrow I won't buy any more muffins and then I'll get back on track,
0: right?
2: Right. So even just removing the morality around food can be a really helpful step to start eating intuitively because intuitive eating is really what I define as getting to a place where food is morally neutral, it's no longer good and bad, no longer have all these food rules that are clouding our judgment. So peeling that all away, getting back to intuitively what our body wants. And I think one of the biggest myths around intuitive eating is that if I'm allowed to eat whatever I want, I'm going to eat donuts all day long. And that's what I thought when I first heard about it. I'm like, this is stupid. Like, (laughs) I'm going to literally eat nothing but donuts and gain 5,000 pounds. But, you know, intuitive eating is rather a self care kind of um, framework. It's understanding that you would feel terrible if you ate donuts all, all day long. And knowing if you want to have a whole bunch of donuts, it's coming from a place of restriction. Right. So what i say with clients is that restriction creates rebellion and allowance creates space for choice right so when we lean into the allowance you lean into the choice and we're actually checking in and tuning into how we feel we do not want a thousand donuts you know maybe it is one donut and then we're likely going to want to go to eat foods that actually make ourselves feel good
1: right right yeah and it's it's coming away from the that i can have that or i'm not allowed to Mm -hmm. have that and just again really being mindful about around the language which is which is what you mentioned and it's interesting because if we see kids, if we see, you know, young babies, if we if we're moms and we've had kids, we notice that they'll cry when they're hungry, mm-hmm. and then once they're full, they are satisfied, and they don't just, you know, choose foods and just overeat or, you know, before we've even started to link food with emotion and food with our culture and, and you know, using food in, in, in a different way rather than just giving our bodies the energy that it needs at the moment. Mm -hmm. we realize that we actually do have that within us we have that ability to to choose foods when we are hungry but it can't come from this restrictive place where i'm following Mm -hmm. a piece of paper where i don't even know if i'm hungry or not but this piece of paper tells me that i should eat this these exact quantities at these exact times Mm -hmm. right we have to come away from that and realize also the more actually i am in that fitness realm i have to be mindful because i'm going to be exposed to so many different diets and i'm Mm going to hear a lot of stuff going to hear that carbs are bad then i'm going to hear that they're good then i'm going to hear that that you know protein is bad and we should eat so much protein or we should eat less Mm -hmm. protein or you know there's so much stuff out there and again the more we follow that the less we are in touch with that intuition that we have within us
2: right yeah you're bang on exactly like we were born intuitive eaters but you know along the way we were told that we can't trust our body We were told what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat. And especially in the fitness realm, where every single, you know, there's a new challenge or a new this or a new that, and everybody's body is completely different. Mm -hmm. We process foods differently. We feel differently eating different foods. Even if you're eating the exact same way as someone else, even just the fact that our intestines are going to be different lengths means I'm going to absorb different levels of nutrients, right? So it's like crazy things like that. Uh, but understanding, yeah, it's tapping into what feels good for you. And that's going to feel totally different for someone else. And as someone's telling you, you have to eat exactly this and exactly that they're not you, right. they don't know you, they don't know your body and something I always invite clients to do is take that time throughout the day to actually check in with how you're feeling. Because so often what I tool I always suggest them is to go to your phone, I love giving little tools. Um, Go to your phone, go to the alarms, set silent alarms to literally check in with yourself throughout the day. How am I feeling? What's going on for me right now? What do I need? Scheduling those throughout the day, because otherwise we're often just on autopilot. Mm -hmm. We're not actually understanding when we're actually hungry or even when we're super full, how we're actually feeling. Are we emotionally eating? Are we stress eating? And so Building in those little pattern interrupts throughout the day is a really great way for us to check into ourselves. How you know? How am I feeling? This food, eating this food. You know, what do I need right now? All those kind of things can really help us to get back to what our body's actually asking for. Yeah, I love
1: all of that. I love everything that you just said. So it seems to me, and I mean, just to give our our listeners here sort of that those first steps to get started, seems to me that that first place is, all right, I I have to make a change because I'm not happy. I I'm now spiraling down this restrictive, you know, binge eating sort of cycle, and I can't break free of that. I'm constantly waiting for happiness, because happiness is never arriving. It's never good enough. I never feel like I'm, I'm enough.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What are the first steps once this this awareness is there? What is next? How can I get help?
2: Yeah. So I think, you know, even just going back specifically to binge eating, mm-hmm. right? Binge eating is coming from restriction. Yes. Yes. And so many of us think it's a willpower problem. They think it's like, I just need to be stronger or more motivated, right? And so, and the interesting thing is binge eating and why I coach from a science-based perspective is to really create this idea of neutrality. So removing a lot of that shame through education. So for example, when are binge eating, we feel like we're a different person, right? We often kind of have this like blackout kind of moment where we start eating the cookies and we're like, oh, we'll have one more. And then we look up like 20 minutes later and the kitchen has been emptied and we're just like, what just happened, right? It's like very Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. And it's not that you're broken. You're not, there's something gone wrong there. Rather, it's something has gone right, right? You've kicked off this very primitive need to get calories in. And so what's actually happening is you're having a dopamine surge. Mm -hmm. dopamine in our brain is anticipation of reward the neurotransmitter and we start eating these really delicious high sugar high calorie foods that you've been deprived of right so your energy levels got too low so your brain is like oh my god let's go get food asap to get our energy levels up so the the line attacks us you can fight it off right when we're having that dopamine surge it actually cuts off our ability to access our prefrontal cortex which is the front one third part of our brain impulse control future thinking rational thinking planning goal setting everything so you basically cut off the part of your brain that could really even kind of moderate the situation as it were help situation which is important because if our brain thinks that there's a threat or there is fear or whatever we want to be immediately going into that you know sympathetic fight or flight right. right handling the situation not sitting there contemplating like is that a lion is that not? i was like no no <laughs> right we've got ourselves in that kind of state and so we're eating food we're binging food we're eating it super quickly we're having that dopamine surge which is cutting off access to front of our Brain, what basically allows us to kind of moderate situation. So knowing that when you feel all of those different things going on, it feels like you are a different person. It's rather different parts of your brain that have different priorities. Mm-hmm. And the part of your brain that is driven by survival, the one that keeps you alive, that's the part that is picking up the slack as it were in that moment. That's the one that the focus is on. And so knowing, you know, that level of restriction throughout the day, and I coach around four different types of restriction, which is physical, emotional, mental, and connection, because I think if we're missing in any one of those areas, food can often be that kind of fill in the void moment, as it were. Um, But knowing that even coming from the physical point, if we're not getting enough calories, enough energy throughout the day... Right, we're going to kick off that primitive need. need, We're going to get that dopamine surge, and we're going to feel likely very out of control. Mm -hmm. And that's meant to happen, Mm -hmm. right? If that did not happen, we would not be here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's how we've survived, right? (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so you mentioned those four levels of restrictions. Can we get into that a little bit more?
2: Yeah. So physical restriction, I talk about that as not getting enough food or enough variety of food, right? So if I'm only eating. I don't know. For example, like when I was really depriving myself, I was literally just eating like boiled chicken breasts and like steamed broccoli, right? That's just not a lot of different nutrients for my body to absorb. It's not a lot of variety. So physical restriction, if we're not eating enough food, enough variety of food, that's gonna play a huge, you know, issue when it comes to you know the binging, emotional eating, or stress eating. Not so much emotional eating, but stress eating, as it works. Our body's in a massive state of stress. The second piece is mental restriction. So this basically looks like if I am making foods off limits, good or bad, telling myself I can't have this food, if I am beating myself up constantly, I'm such a failure, I can't believe I did this, what is wrong with me, I'm so broken, that I call mental restriction and basically what happens is when we're actively shaming ourselves, it kicks off the same part of our brain as if we're in physical pain. When we're in physical pain, our brain goes, oh, let's go and do something to make her feel better, right? Let's go self soothe. So we naturally turn back to food. So the irony of beating ourselves up or shaming ourselves, thinking it's going to drive a positive behavior, mm-hmm. it drives a negative one. Mm-hmm. So, what I say with clients is negative self talk produces negative actions, and positive self talk produces positive actions. Mm-hmm. Then we kick into emotional restriction. And this is this idea that I shouldn't be feeling negative emotions. Like there's a lot of judgment around it. We don't let our, ourselves ever get too sad. We kind of buffer with food or alcohol or drugs or social media, right? And through doing that, we prevent our body from basically giving us the messages that we need because emotions are simply messages. And yet we are constantly shooting the messenger. <laughs> right? Um, and then what happens is that every time we feel any kind of emotion, which is a normal part the human experience, we default to food. So in the evenings, we're feeling, you know, frustrated or overwhelmed or sad or whatever, and we feel like we have to use food to basically kind of cope and get through that. So I teach clients all about, you know, emotional empowerment, emotional resilience, how to process. And then the last one we have connection restriction. Now again, we are a social species. We're meant to be in this kind of communal tribal living, and yet so often we're totally disconnected from those around us as well as ourselves. And so what we'll use often as a substitute for this feeling of connection, you know, we're feeling lonely is food, Mm -hmm. right? And so again, that's nothing, that's something that's gone wrong there. It's not that we're bad or whatever. It's that our brain is basically trying to figure out how to meet this unmet need in our body by using what tools it has available to us. And maybe that is simply food. So checking in and, you know, I'm someone who's a such an introvert, like so powerfully an introvert. So being aware, like, yeah, I need to fit in those moments of connection. That means finding the right people, finding the right groups, like cross uh, CrossFit's like an awesome way for me to connect with people, right? So looking at those different areas of your life and ask yourself, is there also a level of connection restriction going on? Mm-hmm.
1: So those that. are the four different types. <laughs> Yeah, I love this. And, and all really makes sense. And especially for the emotional eating aspect, right? It's, it's that limbic part of part of the brain, the limbic system exactly. that, that starts to attach certain meanings um, and, and relate them with food. So how do I how do I break free of that? I know this is a loaded question. And this is like a one hour podcast. So it's for sure impossible to answer. But mm-hmm. how do I get started? I know awareness is, is number one, I realize I have this pattern.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do I break free?
2: Yeah. So I think the first thing is, well, yes, awareness. Um, And then the second thing is actually naming it, right? So the limbic system, the amygdala, the more emotional center part of our brain doesn't actually have language, Mm -hmm. which means when I'm feeling all different types of way, it literally has to express that through my body. Mm -hmm. Our prefrontal cortex, our frontal cortex on the other hand, which I was saying before is like rational future thinking, all of that. It does have language. Mm -hmm. Which means by me simply saying, I am feeling frustrated, or I am feeling upset, or I am feeling overwhelmed, we are already starting to process that emotion because we've added vocabulary to it because we've added language to it. So that what I will say is like that first thing is having that awareness, but then actually speaking out how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. The second thing is giving yourself permission to feel it, which sounds really silly, but we judge ourselves so often, right? I think especially, you know, during this pandemic, I had moments of, you know, I feel really frustrated that I'm stuck inside, but I felt I was muddling that with the fact that I thought I should be grateful that I was safe and I had a home and I had a job and blah, blah, blah. So I think so often we think that we can't feel two different things. So I always suggest with clients, like you can be and, right. I can feel frustrated about this situation and grateful or and happy for this. And knowing that the judgment and the, um, kind of the restriction of that emotion, it prevents you from actually processing it. And then we end up turning to things like food because we feel stuck in it. We feel like we're kind of just buffering in that emotion instead of actually processing it. So awareness. I use an, actually an acronym called ANAC. or no, ANAS. No, ANA. Oh my gosh. I changed it like three times. Cause I was like, I want to make it fit. Okay. Um, so it's ANA. So it's awareness, name it, allow it and wait it out. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of my four little thinkings around emotions. And so even I was saying back to before with those phone check-ins, like those can be a great thing to just use that little acronym of like, okay, how am I feeling right now? Oh, you know what? I'm actually feeling pretty overwhelmed. Okay. I'm allowed to feel overwhelmed. Okay. I'm just going to like sit with that for a second and kind of let that pass, which then sounds so simple, but rarely do we actually take that time to do that throughout the day.
1: You're so right. You're so right. Okay. So going back in, in your story, that moment where you had your moment of awareness, and by the way, it's, it's so metaphoric. You're, you're climbing up and running up this mountain and crying and doing this huge release. You get to the top and you're like, I'm done. It's awesome. Mm. Right. So, so getting that first step, you, you, you get the call center, um, get in touch with them looking for help. How, how did you find intuitive
2: eating? Yeah. So I started this recovery journey and it was really tough because I was someone who was so deeply entrenched into the world that I was in, in terms of my, my identity, everything that when I was going to, to therapy, to get work around with the, you know, psychologist, everyone, I was bringing up a lot of emotions And then I didn't know what to do with them because food was my only way to cope with emotions at this point. And I wasn't getting enough help. I wasn't getting enough support to actually work through it in a way that would be productive for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm someone who's very science-based. I'm someone who's very logical and rational, meaning if I understand how something is happening or why I'm doing something, then I'm better able to work through it and do it. And so I basically had to go on this wild journey of saving my own life basically through doing in-depth research about what was going on in my own body, understanding my own biology. As I was saying before, like education alleviates shame and creates empowerment. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was understanding, oh, I'm not broken when I go on a binge at night. It's that dopamine surge that's overriding, you know, that The frontal part of my brain, it's happening because there's a level of restriction, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, if I'm feeling really stressed, like I was walking around on eggshells all the time, right? Because I wasn't able to process my emotions. So what's going on there? So I unknowingly basically created this program to save my own life. And if you would have walked into my apartment in Montreal at this time, it looks like I was an absolute crazy person because I had like papers everywhere and like arrows and lines and whatever. Um, basically created this program that really dug deep into the science and helped me understand what was going on with me why I felt the way that I did helped me really to kind of reconstruct my own identity and what actually mattered to me in my life gave me a sense of purpose mm-hmm. and through doing that I started to share basically my my story on social media what I was learning everything there and people started to reach out to me and they're like hey see so you're doing this thing I'm in the same kind of space right. this is kind of what's happening I'm really struggling so i took on some beta clients so free clients to go through this program that i'd kind of unknowingly created to help them you know work through their issues as well as test out kind of you know it was like does this just work for me or is this something that i can t- continue to replicate again and again mm-hmm. and happily enough it was something that i could replicate again and again and again and so That will be three years in October of this year that that actually happened. Um, And then I moved to Bali for two years. So I quit my corporate job, moved to Bali for two years. And I've been coaching online full-time since then. And back in Canada now, but moving to uh, Portugal in a few weeks. So my life has completely changed having gone on this food freedom, intuitive eating journey. And what I I was looking at as well from this very kind of feminist perspective where dieting and trying to shrink ourselves and look at us ourselves a certain way and keep ourselves, you know, doing whatever. It's such a distraction, Mm -hmm. right? It takes our time. It takes our energy. It takes our money, all the things that we need to actually fully show up in our lives and be the people that we were meant to be. Mm. And so by working through that stuff, we're able to get this place where it's like, what do I actually want in life? When my sole purpose isn't trying to shrink myself, what do I want? And that meant for me, like, I want to travel the world. Like, I want to see new things. I want to go on adventures instead of just every year on New Year's, my goal is to lose weight or every birthday I'm blowing out the candles, wishing I could be smaller. And that's what I wish for every single person. Every single woman is that they can reject this idea of dieting and, you know, diet culture and tricking themselves in favor of showing up and just living their life in a really true and authentic way.
1: Oh, man, that's so powerful. I love that so much. And it's so true. How much of our thoughts are spent on how we look or our weight or how we should look better or comparing ourselves to other or Mm -hmm. not feeling good inside our own skin? We're not worth it. We're not enough. And then how much of that is, you know, money spent on diets Mm -hmm. and powders and treatments and cellulite reduction? I don't know what stretch mark this and it's crazy. But it's mm-hmm. true. I think as, as a woman in society, I don't want to say that we're, we're targets, but but mm. yeah, we kind of are easy, yeah. work, aren't we?
2: Yeah, I would say it's funny. The company I used to work for and I, I was I joke about it now. It's like we created problems and then sold you the solution. Mm. You didn't need 72 hour eyebrows until we marketed to you through commercials that what if you woke up in the morning and your eyebrow was slightly off and the boy was next to you and you have to run to the bathroom and put it on, oh. right? Like we created that problem and we weren't born inherently hating our bodies. Mm-hmm. We were born like neutral. We loved our, you know, if our mom had roles or whatever, so I, like we didn't care. You didn't even we, see it. We didn't even see it, right? We just saw her. We just saw the people around us. We were taught to hate our bodies, oh. which means we can also unlearn that. And it will take time but it's absolutely possible.
1: Wow. It's so true. It is a problem that not everyone has a six pack. It is a problem that you don't look ripped. It is a problem that mm-hmm. you're not a size two. All of these are problems that are created for us. And we yeah. spend our entire life looking for a solution that doesn't exist.
2: When truly the solution is removing that problem. Exactly. Yeah. I coach a lot about radical self-love, which is this idea of like when we stop trying to place and rank each other in this system, Uh, basically oppression, right? Ranking each other on our body size, our race, our gender, our everything. When we stop prescribing to that, basically means that we get to just show up however the heck we are, knowing that we are inherently worthy and amazing and wonderful which also means we have to stop placing each other on these pedestals we have to stop telling myself that I'm better than this person or this person is worse than me or whatever because doing that we uphold the system that some people are more worthy than others Mm. and that's just not the case and you're never going to win that game Mm. right everyone is inherently worthy and so we have to reject this idea that getting to a certain place means that I will be better or that my life will be better or whatever whatever right and rather accepting and taking responsibility for the fact that you can be happy now you can own your life and your body right now and then the entire world will open up to you
1: oh man so great you mentioned earlier also something around intuitive movement yes so so share with us what that means
2: yeah so i've had such a turbulent relationship with exercise my entire life um, my family was very athletic growing up so much of who i was was how i performed and so yeah, i played high level volleyball everything and I was someone towards, you know, becoming more restrictive and more uh, with my exercise addiction towards the end of, you know, before I got recovery, I was exercising like four or five hours a day. I was going on 30, 40 kilometer runs to give myself permission to eat breakfast. And people were praising me for it. Right. Oh, you're so amazing. You're so strong. We should could be like you. Right. It's like, those are red flags yet people saw them as something to pray. So mm-hmm. Basically, my entire relationship to exercise had to completely change. And so now I talk with clients and I talk a lot about intuitive movement. And so why even call it movement versus exercise? I kind of think about it almost like exercise is kind of putting it in a box, mm-hmm. right? We have this idea of exercises, lifting weights in the mirror, right, at the gym or doing a certain type of robot class or even maybe doing CrossFit or going for a run versus movement is this very open, broad, you know, idea, we can get creative with it. So moving our body in a way that feels good for us doing, choosing the intensity that feels good for us, choosing the type of movement that feels good for us, Mm -hmm. knowing we can also take a rest day if we would like to. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think you know, when we talk about sometimes exercise, if it's like, we're not going level 10, we're not doing this exact thing, then it's like, what's the point? Or like, this is a fail. Or like, we mess, we missed a day. So like, we were terrible, right? Um, versus tapping into intuitive movement. It's like knowing it's going to be fluid, right? The only constant in life is change. And so knowing that I'm not gonna be able to hit the same level of intensity or the same type of movement all the time just means I'm human. doesn't right. means something is you know, bad or not normal. And it's checking in with yourself with types of, you know, what a movement feels good for you? What would you enjoy doing? How do you feel do, doing it? How do you feel after it? Um, and so it's really tapping in and getting curious removing a lot of the should or shouldn't or have to and can't or all those kind of things. And knowing that when we're coming from that space of, I want to exercise, or I want to do this movement, or I want to do this type of fitness coming from that empowering place that is sustainable. Mm -hmm. that is for life Mm -hmm. when it's coming from the shame and the should and the have to that just drives those, you know, three day kickoff of doing something really intensive, right? These kind of sporadic gym moments of like, I'm going to go and then I'm going to stop because it's not something that's coming from again, from that place of empowerment, positivity. Um, but it's also really just coming from this all or nothing approach to movement because we're doing it for the wrong reasons.
1: Right. Yeah. And similar to diet, right. It's, it's just, it's, it's just expectations. Yeah, you know, it's it's not being adaptable. It's not being flexible. Mm-hmm. And it certainly is not honoring your body. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to show up in a way where today feels like it's a good cardio day or today. I feel like lifting or today, you know what? Maybe my body just needs yoga today because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in pain or I didn't sleep well. Right. So we have to come come to that place where my goal is to honor my body. But again, I think I think similar to that intuitive eating and then stepping into that place where I'm not going to look at food as good and bad. I'm going to allow myself to have food and not give it any labels
0: mm-hmm.
1: and any weight. How do I then do that with exercise without choosing the easy way out? And I, this is a bit tricky, right, because we, we have a tendency to want to get I don't want to say lazy, but, you know, we definitely want to want to conserve energy, let's say. Yeah. So how do I choose movement and still commit to that place where I'm honoring my body and not putting that mm-hmm. extra, extra stress?
2: Yeah. So first thing I always like to think about is the difference between I want to move my body because it'll make me feel good right? versus maybe I should take a rest, right? And taking a rest because my body's actually asking for it. So how to distinguish between like, if I move my body, I'll feel better versus I'll take a, I'll take a rest and I'll feel better. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that makes sense.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and so for me, it's like doing that first step towards whatever that movement is actually, it is right. So it's like getting a little bit, it's like the body's in motion, stay in motion kind of idea. So that is like putting on some music or that's putting on the outfit and like doing that first, you know, getting out the door and then deciding, do I actually want to continue with this? Or do I not want to do it? Mm-hmm. But the answer is no checking with yourself. Why? Am I just feeling really, really burnt out and tired? Then like, go take a rest. Or is it something you genuinely don't enjoy doing, but you've placed your identity, your personality, who you are, even your friend group around doing that thing? Because in those cases, it's again, getting honest, getting curious, but being open to the fact that you don't have to be defined by doing one said thing. And I think so many of us will, quote unquote, fall off the movement, you know, kind of track as it were, because we're doing it from kind of coming from the the wrong reasons, but also we're not truly enjoying what it is that we're actually doing. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: And so giving yourself permission to kind of play and have flexibility and try new things and not be because I've done this for this long, I have to keep doing this, but trying all the different things and meeting different people within that and making it exciting, making it enjoyable, because if we genuinely look forward to doing that thing. If we feel good doing that thing, then we want to do that thing. Right. And I kind of created this like intuitive eating movement scale as it were. And if it's, I don't want to move, I never want to move. I only want to lay in bed all day long. For me, I know that's a red flag for mental health. Mm Mm-hmm right? Similarly, if I know it's, I have to move, I can't sit down. I can't rest. That's also a flag for mental health, right? It's like anxiety versus depression. Mm-hmm. So it's checking in myself. Okay. Maybe there's something else going on here. Another need that's not being met and forcing myself to go out and move and maybe, you know, hitting a high level crossfit workout. Maybe that's not what I need today. Maybe it's going for a walk,
0: mm-hmm. right?
2: So checking with the intensity of the movement as well. And the type of movement, if you're not feeling whatever that movement is, maybe that you'd initially plan to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm
1: yeah i couldn't agree more and i and i think also it has to come from a place where you're not labeling yourself yes right? right. and, and so when it comes to diet you know we are a flexitarian or we are a, you know i don't even know what that means to be honest i'm still trying to figure it out and i'm doing what i'm doing for 20 years or i am a vegan or i am a this and you know all these labels or i am a crossfitter or i am a runner yeah. you know i do my best not to label myself in any way because mm-hmm. if i'm a crossfitter then I, I don't know it's going to be weird if I get on a bike and I cycle for a few hours, you know, and several years back when I was training for an Ironman, I didn't want anyone to, to call me a triathlete because I'm, I'm an athlete and I could do I, I could do it all. I want to do it all. I don't just want to be this one thing. And if I decide that I'm, I'm going to eat a certain way, I also don't want to give myself a label around that. Because that those labels bring about expectations. And now, I, again, I've got that definition of success and everyone thinks this of me. And so that's my identity and that's how I have to function, right? hmm
2: yeah. yeah. Those, like, the labels and the, I should do this or I have to do that, it puts us in a box and it drives shame. Right. Because we're human, we we can't be perfect all the time. Like, that's just, it's a fact, right? It's not this like, oh, no, it's just a me problem. It's like, nope, you're human and you're allowed to be imperfect. That's what makes you you. And so, if we're not able to eat in a certain way, if we do want to have the meat or if we do want to try a different type of movement, but we've told ourselves that this is who we are and this is who we have to be, oh my gosh, like you're going to be friggin' miserable, right? Like, there's no winning there. Either you continue to do the thing you don't enjoy doing or you, you know, go away from that. You try something else, but because you still call yourself a failure for doing that and you shame yourself for doing that, you feel terrible doing it.
0: Right.
2: So it's like it's a lose, 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 lose. <laughs> lose, lose. Yeah, <laughs> everyone loses here. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, removing those labels and just calling yourself like I'm an intuitive eater. Maybe you do trend towards eating more, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say not vegan, but like the, what's another word? Plant-based. Plant-based, yeah, that's the word. Plant-based diet, or maybe a trend towards, you know, I enjoy doing CrossFit or I'm in a CrossFit kind of phase right now, right? Like that could totally change and that's perfectly okay. That means that you're human. And I really respect and appreciate people who try different things and put themselves out there because everything you do gets you closer to understanding who you are. But if you're only ever doing one thing, it really makes it difficult to understand who you can be yeah
1: yeah and it comes down to the point that you made earlier around the language that you use and mm-hmm. especially when you were describing your emotions you know i am feeling mm-hmm. sad not i am sad yes right? so really really like such a small change in the sentence but such a different definition mm-hmm. right and one one becomes my identity who i am exactly. and the other one is just describing how i'm eating or how i'm moving or you know how i'm feeling but not who i am as a person Right. I, I am none of those things. I am. I'm I am me happy right now without
2: anything else. Right. Yeah. I love how you put that. Exactly. It's like creating a little bit of almost like a bird's eye view, like a little bit of distance from the things that you're doing versus who you are. But it's like, oh, I am sad or I am a CrossFit, or even that's like, oh, I enjoy doing CrossFit, or I practice doing this type of movement or whatever. It creates this kind of like almost buffer around your identity for you to have the opportunity to kind of be fluid and change things up and feel how you're feeling without meaning that's who you are. So yeah, you nailed it.
1: Amazing. I've loved this conversation so much, Victoria. I wish I could talk to you for a few (laughs) more hours, but to be mindful of your time and also just the, the listeners time. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you, Where could they go to do that?
2: Yeah, so I'm mostly on Instagram. Uh, That's at Victoria Evans Official. So if you're listening to this episode, message me, let me know one of your takeaways. Um, So you mostly find me there. also have my website, www.VictoriaEvansOfficial.com. I have lots of online programs, so you're welcome to check those out. And if you like my style of kind of coaching, talking about more science-based things, I have an online course, it's six weeks long called the Craving Food Freedom online course. So if you're wanting to dig into that, learn more about how to create food neutrality, intuitive eating, food freedom, go check that out. It's on my website um, and you can use coupon code podcast for 10% off as well.
1: Amazing. All right. Thank you so much for that.
2: Thank you so much. I so enjoyed chatting with you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Fall In Love With Fitness. Whether you're already on your fitness journey or just getting started, we're in this together. Just head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review, and you'll be entered into the drawing to win my six-week transformation course. Then go to fallinlovewithfitness.com and get your free gift from me so you get back your energy and reinvigorate your life. Join me on the next episode, and remember... You are an inspiration.